SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, let's touch base uh, with Bruce Davidson, who is at the Irene Country Club, South Africa, taking on Israel in the Euro-Africa Group 1 tie. South Africa winning the first rubber. It was Lloyd Harris uh, who had a successful singles clash. Bruce joins us now. Bruce, out on court at the moment, the second match of the rubber. Tell us what's happening. Well, Nicholas Colt, the South African number two, is in all sorts of trouble against the Israeli number one, Dudi Sela. Um, Dudi Sela ranked 97 in the world, one of the most consistent players on the international professional circuit. Won the first set in six, 6-1 in a staggering 22 minutes. And he's at the moment 2-1 down. It's on serve, but I must say that uh, he's making it very difficult for Nick Skoltz out there. Um, a little bit of pressure on Nick Skoltz going into the struggle after Lloyd Harris won his uh, opening rubber and gave South Africa that one little lead. Uh, but as I said, uh, he is finding uh, Dudu Sela, the Israeli number one, a real handful at the moment. And as we talk now, it is uh, 6-1, 2-1, 2 and it's on serve. Bruce, as far as this tie goes, obviously the South Africans, uh, it's going to be a, a step up in, in, in the level of play, uh, having been promoted into, into this group. And uh, it seems like that step up, uh, Nicholas Golfs is, is struggling with it. Yes, you know, it, it, it is very difficult. If you look at all the countries that are in Europe, Africa, Group 1, we've got the Czech Republic. The winner of this tie plays Czech Republic three years ago. They won the Davis Cup. And then all of a sudden, uh, they've slipped into uh, Euro-Africa Group 1 in the last three years. And they are a formidable uh, opponent with two players in the top 20 of the world. It is very difficult. It's not easy. Um, we, uh, you know, Marcus and Riska made it very clear that uh, South Africa is going to have to, to pick up their game if they're going to compete well in this group. Uh, he asked for a good start by Lloyd Harris. Lloyd Harris gave him a good start. But we were always worried about Dudu Sela. We just knew that he was a handful. He likes a hard court when he came to South Africa a few years ago and played at Monte Cassino in the SA Tennis Open. There he got to the quarterfinals. He was a surprise quarterfinalist. And, uh, you know, he is a great player, and it is uh, showing on the courts here at Irene. Nicholas Skoltz, uh, I think, uh, has it in him to, to do some damage, but it's going to take a lot looking at the match at the moment. There's also a slight change in format as well to, to previous uh, rounds of the Davis Cup. It's uh, over two days now, not three, so it all wraps up tomorrow. Tell us what's, uh, what's in store for, for us tomorrow, Bruce. Well, yes, you're right. We used to play over three days, and each rubber was the best of five sets. Now we play over two days, and uh, it's Friday and Saturday, and the the five rubbers are played, but it's the best of three sets. So we've got the two singles on at the moment. We've played one, we won now, and then we've got 11 o'clock tomorrow. We start with the doubles, followed by the reverse singles. And instead of four players, we have five players that a captain can select from at any time, so that gives him a little bit of uh, variety. We um, have a very good team in uh, Lloyd Harris and Nick Stoltz, plus a doubles uh, team of uh, Ron Rolofsson and Raven Class and Tucker Forsters in the mix there who can play a good singles and doubles game. So there is a, a strong uh, chance that uh, there might be a change if Nick Stoltz does not feel good for tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, it is a, an interesting format. Nick Skoltz prefers the longer matches. He's not going to have that uh, luxury now. It's the best of three. And um, we know that the last big one that he won here uh, two, two, uh, two years ago it was a five-setter thriller. He beat the number one from Slovenia. So, you know, he, he's not really, really 
excited about this shorter format. I think if it was five sets, we'd have a better chance from Nick Skulls. And as uh, I'm talking now, he is in all sorts of arguments with the chair umpire from Poland, and uh, that is obviously upsetting with his mind. And uh, he's down now uh, 3-2. Um, uh, he lost his serve there, so it's a break of serve, and uh, Dudu Sela is now leading 6 one 3 Bruce, and then just finally, Raven Klaassen in the mix, as you mentioned, the doubles tomorrow. That doubles uh, rub is going to be key, especially if Nick Skulls does lose tonight. Uh, if we are to, to, to clinch this one tomorrow, having that experience, someone who's, who's done fantastically well on the, the ATP circuit in doubles, it's great for, for the South African youngsters to be playing alongside someone like Raven. Absolutely. Now, Ruan, the rule of San Raven Klaassen, who will go, go out for duty for South Africa tomorrow have uh, are unbeaten in Davis Cup uh, as a team, which is very good for us. Raven has had a really tough start to the year, and he slipped out of the top 20 in the world, but he's still playing great tennis, and this week he told me he's feeling particularly good. Um, but, you know, Brad, just let's not forget that they're playing against one very solid player here as part of the team, and that's Ehrlich, uh, Jonathan Ehrlich. And Jonathan Ehrlich has been a former top three doubles player in the world. He's also won a, a couple of Grand Slams. He's uh, won multiple uh, uh, titles. So it's not going to be an easy game. The favour is in South Africa's uh, uh, hands, and I think that Raven Tarson knows how important it is uh, for them to win it, because then we 2-1 up. Um, if Nicholas Skoltz does lose this against Dudy Seller, and then we only have to win one of the two reverse singles, which takes a lot of pressure off the South African players. Absolutely. Bruce Davidson, thank you so much for that update. We'll have updates uh, throughout uh, the day tomorrow afternoon on SAFM Sports Special with John Carricker, uh, keeping you updates with exactly what's happening at the Irene Country Club. And I'll have a score for you towards the end of this evening's show as well in that second uh, singles tie that's taking place right now. Coming up next here on SAFM Sports Wrap, we're going to chat some rugby and unpack Alistair Kutsia getting sacked. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information lead. And the big news dominating the sports headlines today is the news that uh, Alistair Kutsia has been sacked as uh, Springbok coach parting ways, according to Saru, by mutual uh, uh, consent. We join now by Craig Ray. Craig, uh, I don't want to say surprise because you were talking about this happening at the end of year tour last year. Yeah, it's not a surprise. I mean, I suppose like anyone, it's uh, been a bit frustrating that it's possibly dragged on as long as it has. But, um, you know, I think we've got to cut a little bit of slack for SA Rugby in the sense that, you know, they came back from the end of the year term, 1st of December. That week was leading up to the Cape Town Sevens. The, the management staff get a few days off as well after a long tour like that. So, Alistair Gassier, you know, wasn't going to uh, be reviewed at all, you know, late last year. Um, the seventh came and went, and then, you know, everyone closed up shop on December the 15th and went on a sort of three-week holiday, came back in the second week of January, and the process got underway there. And I suppose, in in, in essence, it's only really taken two weeks from by the time everyone's got back into the office. So it has felt long, but uh, human resources details have to be ironed out. Um, you know, severance packages have to be ironed out. There's, you know, Alistair's attached to the management group as well. You know, he brought Matt Proudfoot in. What happens with him? What happens with Franco Smith? Um, yeah, and all those kind of players, uh, the coaches in the setup. So it's not just one man. I suppose a lot of people are linked to his job. 
Let's just talk about the reasons behind this. Uh, if you've been living on another planet in the last two years and not following Springbok rugby, it hasn't been pretty. Uh, and and I'll touch on, on some of the things that Alice has had to say about Saru in, in that uh, employment, in, in the way it started and some of the, the things he's accused Saru of. But it hasn't been close to two of the best years for South African rugby. No, absolutely not. I mean, he... he I think it was poorly calculated releasing that letter last week. Now, I, I mean, I, I broke the story as well, but um, I'm not sure of the exact provenance of the leak, But uh, I, and I can't say for sure that it was leaked from his side or whose side it was leaked from, but there was certainly no interest in it in, in South African rugby leaking that letter because it just no one looks good in it. But uh, whether it was a tactic from Alistair, if it was a genuine leak, um, you know, any of the leaker will know. But the point is, no one came out of that letter looking good. And he had a lot of uh, criticism of SO Rugby. But I can tell you this, Brad. I've spoken to several ex-Springbok coaches, and I've had them on the phone for half an hour, an hour, telling me exactly the same things about how they weren't supported, how they didn't get what they wanted, how the whole of the SO Rugby structure conspired against them. It's nothing new. It goes with the territory with every Springbok coach. When they're winning, those things aren't a problem. When they're starting to lose, those things always become a problem. Unfortunately for Alistair, he was never really winning from the, from the outset. So he probably felt under siege from day one. Absolutely. Craig, and, and as much as South African rugby fans are, are very disappointed about the results under, Alex, uh, under Alistair Gutsia's reign, Saru has to take some blame for this as well. And like you say, this isn't the first time it's happened. Uh, it, it just seems to, it's like Groundhog Day. We just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over. I'm afraid so. I mean, you know, I think you've got to go way back, I think, to where SA Rugby has made the mistakes. Um, you know, since 2004, the All Blacks have had two coaches. We're, we're about to go on to our fifth coach. And it, um, Steve Hansen has been in the All Blacks setup for 14 years, and seven of those years have been his head coach. Um, well, six of those years have been his head coach. He's going into his seventh season now, and he will be there until 2019. That's continuity. That's planning. South African rugby, we're into our fifth coach coming up, probably going to be Rusty Erasmus. Even if he selects certain management staff, they're all going to be pretty inexperienced at test level. And I think you've got to go back to perhaps the, we missed the trick after 2007, winning the World Cup. Jake White had been given four more years with a succession plan, with Alistair maybe then, who was already his assistant, teed up to take over after four more years of, of a stable coaching environment. Then he would have just stepped seamlessly into the role with the next. And we would have been on that kind of treadmill, hopefully a, a smooth treadmill. So I think you've got to go back and blame SA Rugby 10, 11 years ago for, for making those mistakes. And, and that's, you know, by making one mistake, it's had this knock-on effect ever since. Yeah, and you, you mentioned, I mean, some of the things that, that Alistair said is, is that he wasn't supported and he, and he was almost sort of rushed into the job. And if you think back to when he was hired, the delay in announcing him as Springbok coach, he was almost on the back foot before he started. And, and, and one of the, the reasons I asked what took Saru so long to get rid of him, and, and they haven't announced that Rusty's going to take over, but I think we all believe he will, is Super Rugby starts in, in a week and a bit. And, and haven't we not delayed this process too much again i know we're still quite a way away from our our first round of internationals but we're not doing ourselves any favors craig no but if rossi is to be the new coach whatever title he takes i think he is going to coach the team he's already been doing the job since he came back in november he's already done all the planning he's going around the country he's spoken to the franchises so he's been the de facto springbok coach for the last two months so so that work has already been done so i don't think if rossi is the man who's appointed which i'm sure he will be um then i don't 
see that that has been a problem. You're right, Alistair was appointed late. But you must also remember that Alistair was appointed late in uh, 2016. Uh, I think it was early April he, he was finally announced. I think he probably knew from late March. <clears throat> but he also knew how the, how the land lay. He knew that he was going to be a late appointment. He knew who the management staff that had been handpicked for him were going to be. Um, so it wasn't like he was sideswiped. Side he was given all the information. And under those circumstances, he still took the job. And when you take the job, it comes with certain responsibilities. Now, you can't cry about it two years later and say, well, I took it, but this was a problem, that was a problem. They were problems, but, you know, he accepted it under those circumstances. Is Rossi going to have the same the same issues that Alistair Katia did? Uh, I, I mean, obviously there are sort of systematic issues uh, within Saru, but uh, can Rossi Erasmus sort of break the curve or, or, or break the mold, so to speak? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Because he is going to have certain structural problems. And, you know, one of the uh, – it's certainly not a problem, but one of the challenges facing um, the next Springbok coach to 2019 is to get – black player representativity up to 50%. Now, that's not going to be an easy task when you when you actually start delving into the Super Rugby franchises and how they're bringing black players through. I think uh, over the last uh, two years of Alistair Katia's coaching, the uh, 60% of the black players he's picked have been outside backs, and that's just not sustainable in a 50% breakdown. So that is going to be a challenge for us here. I'm not saying those players aren't there. But that's going to be a, yeah, one of the key challenges. I mean, obviously, confidence is a, an issue for the Springboks at the moment. They, they've lost, uh, you know, 12 of their last 25 tests under Alistair Couture, only winning 11 with the two draws. So their confidence is at an all-time low. They've suffered some really heavy defeats, particularly against the All Blacks, but they also lost pretty heavily to Ireland. Um, yeah, a lot of players overseas. There's a bit of, uh, un, you know, insecurity among some of the players, and players are not sure of their positions. So there's a lot to build on. I mean, the Springboks had some decent performances under Alistair Couture, even if it was only for 40 minutes. But, yeah, think back to the Newlands test against the All Blacks, uh, which they lost by a point. So they've had one or two moments, but generally it's been a pretty poor two years and a lowly two years. And so it's going to take some real skill to to make the players believe that they are among the world's best again. And that's a big challenge for Erasmus. Forget about all the other things. He's just got to get the Springbok team winning. And, of course, they start up against the world number two team in England in June, so it's not going to be easy. Absolutely not. Craig, would you want the Springbok rugby coaching job? <laughs> well, I wouldn't want it, but I don't think I've ever wanted it. But there are enough <laughs> people out there who uh, do want it. And, I mean, look, it's despite the fact that the brand is slightly tarnished, it's still one of the plum assignments in world rugby, and I think a lot of rugby coaches would love the challenge. And it comes with, you know, unique guidelines or parameters, I suppose, in, in many ways. So it's a, it's a tough gig, but it is a, is a very tough job. But, you know, it's, it's quite simple, I think, if you get to create the right environment. South Africa's got the players to perform at any level. And um, yeah, I still believe that South African players are among the best in the world innately. We've just got to get the best out of them and upskill them. And, yeah, Super Rugby plays a part in that, but... It's always been the case for all the coaches. I mean, every Springbok coach I've ever dealt with in, in the sort of 20 years I've been doing this job have complained about support from Super Rugby franchises. Um, that's always been a, a bugbear because players are yeah, Super Rugby coaches, but they're players first for Super Rugby, and you can understand why. 
So until we get a completely central contracting model, that, that problem's not going to go away. So big challenges ahead for Rassi Rasmus and the team that he uh, uses to coach the Springboks. Just finally to wrap up, Craig, do you, do you not think, I mean, after the decision's been made, essentially, they just haven't announced it, but do you not think it, it might be time, it's a professional era, for us to start looking outside South African borders for coaches? You, you look at what Eddie Jones has done with England, uh, you look at what Warren Gatlin uh, has done with Wales at times, he hasn't been, but, but in, in, in a professional era, does it really matter that your coach is South African? Maybe we need some new blood in. Maybe it's a case of, of getting Graham Henry out of retirement and, and seeing what he can do with the Springboks, just as an example. Do you think that is not an option? I don't think it's an option right now, but I think we mustn't read too much into Rossi Rasmus. I think this will be at most a two-year job to the World Cup in 2019. <coughs> Excuse me, bad. <coughs> got a bad throat. So I, I suspect that what will happen is hopefully anyway, is that there will be some succession planning going on. Rassi Rasmus will take over, and maybe even as early as next year, they'll pull in someone, be that a, a Johanna Ackerman or a Plum overseas coach, into the Springbok coaching setup with the Rasmus guiding them through, and then them for them to take over in 2020. I think we are now getting to the era where there is going to be some sort of succession planning, and rather than just, well, let's wait till 2019 and then start from scratch again. I think as director of rugby, Erasmus is a much bigger picture look at this, and uh, he knows that lurching from one Springbok coach to the next is not a sustainable solution for long-term excellence. So I suspect that this is the beginning of a, of a, of a planning phase where we might see a foreigner come in or someone else, but there will be a, a lot more of a seamless transition uh, once this next little phase is over. Well, let's hope so. Craig Ray, thank you very much for your time this evening on SAFM Sport Trap. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure, Brad. Thanks. SAFM Sports Wrap. Still chatting, Alistair Kutsia here on SAFM. We're joined now by former Springbok fly half Joel Stransky. Joel, welcome on to SAFM. Uh, big news today. Obviously, Alistair and Saru parting ways. Not a, a massive, massive surprise, but uh, as far as SA rugby goes, it is a blow. Changing a coach again. Yeah, and I think I suppose it was one of those necessary things that had to be done. And, as, and to your point, it's probably the worst kept secret, secret in the world. We had stories and rumours going around for December, and I suppose when it's like that, you 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 would undoubtedly feel that this area has not handled this particularly well. But Alistair, you know, as, as lovely a guy as Alistair is, his record speaks for itself, and it's it's really not good enough for him to retain his position. Yeah, absolutely not. Joel, as a player, I mean, one of the things that, that makes teams successful is continuity and, 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 and playing together for a long time. And, and even though this is a, a coaching change, the, the players must be feeling very uncertain and unsure of, of the future of SA Rugby. Coming from a, a player's perspective, changing coaches like this, it's a, it's a big deal. Well, I think the players would have been a little uncertain of a number of things in the last two years. And most importantly, how they were going to play the game because... You know, it's up to the coaching staff to have strategy and put um, structures in place and processes on for on the field. And, and to be quite honest, you know, I think those players that have played, yeah, I think some of them need to look at themselves, put their hands up as well, and accept a bit of responsibility. But generally speaking, I, you know, I'm not sure the coaching team has given them, you know, enough to to ensure that that ongoing you know, transition and and. Uh, you know, process and smooth transition, but you know, in, in the last years we've seen a Springbok team that have really stuttered to nothing, to nowhere, and and and, and it's time. You know, a new, a new coach will quite easily be able to build on on what is in place, and hopefully, will certainly be better than we have been in the last two years. 
Absolutely. We, we often talk about the cycles in rugby and, and the four years between World Cups. We're now halfway in one of those cycles, two years to go uh, to the Rugby World Cup in Japan. You know all about uh, winning World Cups on, on short notice, so to speak. Is two years enough for, for us to pull things sort of back into line and, and have a shot at that World Cup? Well, I think bringing in mind that Alistair, one of, one of the things he would have listed as part of the circumstances that are outside of his control um, would be the fact that we have so many players playing overseas, and that is something that South African rugby authorities need to address, and, and maybe not so much short-term, but certainly long-term. But, but I think if you're the new coach and you come in and, and, and you want to go and win a World Cup, you have to be able to pick the best players that you know are in the whole talent pool. And the ones that are playing overseas, and you could see his hands, hands are tied a little bit by the fact that if they were, he would only allow him to pick one or two. So... Yeah, I think there is a, a, a bit more to selection than than what you know what we we look at on face value. But certainly, the new coach will will have to be better prepared, better structured, better better strategically, and uh, and, we, and and you know what we're talking about is not just winning. We're talking about forward advancement. We want to see our team play a better brand of rugby. We, we, we you know we just saw them in the last years kicking the ball away. You know, at times giving up and, and losing fifty points to no. It's just not acceptable, and the new coach has got to manage that. No, absolutely. Joel, you, you mentioned uh, some of the players need to, to ask themselves some hard questions, and, and they may to be to blame uh, partly as well. I spoke to Craig Ray a short while ago as well, and we touched on the, the role of Saru in this whole thing and, 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 and who's to blame. I, th- I think there's a lot of people where fingers can get pointed. You mentioned the selection and, and, and choosing players from overseas. Do you think with it being in a professional era now, obviously the game has changed a, a lot uh, in, in the last few years with, with this is what players do for a living. And you, you don't want to begrudge someone making decent money in a game like rugby where your shelf life is short. I mean, there's, there's no two yeah. ways about it. Do we need to relook at those sort of structures where it's a case of, let's use football as an example, that it doesn't matter where you ply your trade, you can still qualify to play for your country. I know it's going to weaken leagues, but uh, is, is that something we need to look at seriously? No. So, so I'm going to say something quite controversial. I don't think that is the issue at all. I don't think... I, I would, I would actually turn that on its head and say, you know, Ireland and Scotland have become much stronger once they stop their players playing overseas and they strengthen their their own domestically. I don't think the fact that our box players overseas to make money or to apply their trade is the issue. That what we need to do is fix our processes and structures in this country to keep them there. We we have 14 rugby unions of which six or seven, maybe even eight, offer no value at all. No value to the professional game, no value at a real top class. We we need to ensure that we have fewer unions. Take that money that we waste, you know, funding um, some of the smaller unions that that contributes absolutely nothing, and maybe a few talented youngsters. Give them some money to grow the game and 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 to develop young players. But take as much of the money as you possibly can. Give it to the bigger unions, and let's pay those top players you're talking about that are playing overseas. Let's let's pay them more. Let's make sure that they don't have a reason to go and ply their trade overseas. Let's make sure that they stay in this country, that we have a strong domestic league, that we have a, a passing on of the baton, that those senior players who are, who are you know, the, the, the Springbok players of today and tomorrow are, are teaching and passing on the baton to the youngsters and mentoring them, that we have real strength versus strength, that it's a competitive and tough environment, and that we breed, most importantly, a winning culture. It's, it's all very well to say let them go play overseas and it's picked on there, but it's rather keep them on our shores there 
um, but but changing the, the the structures and make sure we have a strong domestic setup. I think that's, uh, yep, absolutely. Joel Stransky, as always, great to catch up. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we're going to be watching this space very closely. As uh, huge fans of SA Rugby, We, I know you want the best for it, so do we. And uh, let's uh, let's hope that things do improve because uh, I don't think it can get much. I can take another two years of, of what we've just had, and I don't think it can get much worse. Well, it's, you know, I think Ellis's win record was 42 or 44%. It can't get any worse than that. And as I said, as nice a guy as it is, his time's up, and, and, and let's, hope, let's hope that. Whoever does come in is able to, to turn that around and make the Springboks the, the world champions, the winning team that we want them to be and we expect them to be. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, unfortunately, we have seemed to run out of time this evening. I wanted to hear from Roger Desar about the goings-on at uh, Platinum Stars, but we'll have to put that off to uh, or for another time. Looking ahead at this weekend, some awesome, awesome things coming up on SAFM Sports Special with John Carricker tomorrow afternoon and Sunday afternoon. They're going to be chatting to Nick Glamini, the uh, Dimension Data for Quebec cyclist who just recently won the King of the Mountains jersey on the Tour Down Under from Capricorn here in Cape Town. And what an incredible story. Make sure you tune in for that this weekend. We'll also have uh, Davis Cup action for you with uh, Bruce Davidson, who is at the Irene Country Club. And I can tell you in that clash uh, at the moment between uh, Nick Skulls and Dudusela, Nick Skulls is 5-4 up. It is back on serve. He's one set down, though. 6-1 is what the first set score was. They're also going to have PSL action on SAFM Sports Special. And tomorrow they'll be chatting to the president of African Rugby and World Rugby Council member Abdelaziz Bouja uh, about rugby in the rest of Africa. And this is not one you want to miss. Jody Schechter going to be chatting to John Herricker from his home in the UK as well. So make sure you tune in this weekend. Saturday afternoon between 3 and 7, Sunday between 4 and 6. Coming up on the other side of uh, your 7 o'clock news, it is the Friday edition. Thank you very much to my team in Johannesburg tonight, Luyolo and Phineas. Right now, it is 7 o'clock. Have a great weekend. I am Brad Brown.